Hey, welcome. I'm glad you're here. 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 And welcome to those of you online, even though you're not specifically in the room, uh, we do feel like you're a part of us. So welcome. Um, if you're new here, uh, my name is Mike Davis. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, this week we are continuing our series, our God in Film series, by looking at the Jesus Revolution movie. How many of you have seen it? Quite a few of you. Good. Did you like it? Yeah? Good. I, for one, love the movie. I love the movie. Uh, for one, it is a time uh, that my wife and I are very familiar with. Um, we were all over Southern California, um, not quite exactly at that time, um, but uh, yeah, we bounced around from Woodland Hills to Long Beach, Huntington Beach, uh, had dreams of buying a place in Newport Beach. Um, yeah, it was different story, but we had a lot of good feelings from that time. Um, we didn't get to see Janis Joplin live as a display in the movie, uh, but we did rock out to her and Big Brother and the Holding Company. Uh, that, that was her band at, at the time. Um, and the soundtrack just brought back a lot of memories. Good stuff. I love the movie, but I have to say that there are a few things we have to get clear to make clear before we go deeper with it. Number one, the movie is not a documentary, okay? It's not a play-by-play -play of the people or the time. Number two, though the movie clearly has Jesus as a theme, it's Greg Laurie's story. Now, if you don't know who Greg Laurie is, he is the senior pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship. It's a mega church in Riverside, California. And he's also the president of Harvest Crusades, which is an evangelistic outreach ministry, much like the Billy Graham Crusades of old. And it's pretty much a catalyst for the movie. And number three, it is a movie. And because it's a movie, um, there's been some dramatic license taken in developing the story. Now, I will say that those who are present are comfortable with what they did. Um, but again, there, were, there are things present there that really didn't take place in real life. For instance, the movie suggests that it's Chuck Smith's daughter, Jeanette, that introduces Chuck to Lonnie. Those who are there say, no, that's not the case. It was another family member. Another instance is the depiction of Chuck and his church. Um, yes, the church was small in comparison to what it is now, but in actuality, it was probably about the size of our church, maybe even a little larger. Okay. Um, and even though they lost a few people when Chuck brought the hippies in, um, generally speaking, the elders, and he in particular, were okay. What Chuck was about the gospel, and he was okay with anything that was doctrinally sound and supported getting the message out. So he wasn't all that resistant to having hippies in the building. Finally, 
And this is the most important thing. Because of that excellent portrayal of the characters in the movie, it would be easy to lose sight of who the star is. Many have walked away wanting to know more about Lonnie Frisbee, and that would be a worthy endeavor. And some have walked away thinking, wow, Chuck Smith, Greg Lord, man, they've done some amazing things. And, you know, props to them, credit where credit is due. But here's the thing. The star of this movie is Jesus Christ. Nothing that took place in Southern California, late 60s, early 70s, had anything to do with Chuck, with Lonnie, with Greg. They were just instruments of God. We read in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now many, myself included, feel that Jesus is talking about the gospel here, not Peter himself. That it's the gospel, right, that is going to take precedent here. But even if that wasn't the case, it is Jesus who builds the church. It's not Lonnie, it's not Chuck, it's not Greg, it's not you, it's not me. But that said, we do have a role to play. First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 tells us that as you come to him, him being Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. A holy priesthood. As followers, we are priests of God. What do priests do? Priests rep God to the people. That's our job. Does that make sense? Yes? No? Let's look at the So there was then, and there is now, a revolution going on. People are searching for answers. But the question is, what revolution? What answers? Back then, the Vietnam War was going on. People all over the world were protesting, and it was on the news daily. Was that the revolution? Present day, we have Ukraine, <clears throat> excuse me, except for one or two presumably bad actors, the world is united in opposition to Russia's attack of Ukraine. People from other countries have left their homes, fought, and died on behalf of Ukraine. Is that the revolution? Back then, the civil rights movement was active, and it brought a lot of consternation and a lot of good social change. It, too, was on the news daily. Was that the revolution? Present day, we have Black Lives Matter and the LGBTQ movement. Is that the revolution? 
Back then, women were burning their bras and demanding the same rights and privileges of men. Was that the revolution? Present day, we have the Me Too movement and a prosecution of a slew of high-profile people for abusing women. Maybe that's the revolution. With all those things that were and are going on, there was, and I contend is, another uprising occurring. He was a Harvard psychologist. He was wicked smart. And he went to Mexico, and uh, he had an experience. As he says, he took a trip, uh, a drug-induced experience. And he had what he felt was a revelation. And so he started promoting psychedelics as the answer to many of the maladies of the day. And many people bought into it, at least for a time. Four decades ago, I and a friend of mine rolled into L.A. with a couple of pounds of pot and several rolls of acid, tab acid, hallucinogenics. Now, we were there for the buzz. Leary, I don't know. It depends on who you talk to. But at the time, he was both celebrated and vilified. And there may or may not be benefits to those compounds. I don't know. The government is only now allowing research that back then was explicitly banned. But this is what I do know. It's like Lonnie says in the movie, it was a lie. And it was as much a lie as what we were rebelling against. Like Lonnie, I tried all that stuff. And when I got to the end of it, there was a void. What I was running from was empty, and what I was running to was empty. But here's the thing. We can look at this movie and the circumstances around it, portrayed in it, and we can miss the underlying point. And the underlying point is this. People are searching. People are searching for God. Can you see that? See, it wasn't about the drug culture. It wasn't about loose sex or any of that stuff. The question is, why did those things have so much sway to begin with? They had influence because there was a vacuum that needed to be filled. And a lost culture and the enemy of our souls provided counterfeit salvation to fill it. Now, it's clear in the movie what the people were repenting of. The, the cultural sins of the day are in plain view, spirit of the age, drugs, mysticism, and the like. But that begs the question, what are people in need of repenting of today? What is or what are the cultural sins of today? I ask you, I just shout, shout out whatever thoughts you have. Apathy. Apathy. 
affluence. Power. Academics. All those are good. Here, here are my um, four in no particular order mentioned basically by you guys. Fame, fortune, intellect, and experiences. Lonnie says to Chuck in the movie that if you look a little deeper, if you look with love, you'll see that everyone chasing after these things are sheep without a shepherd. See, all these trappings are just culture's way uh, to fill what ultimately only God can fill. And when we get to the end of it all, and eventually we do, there's still a void. Those chasing, excuse me, those chasing after these things, as Lonnie says, are a desperate bunch. And the people of our time are a desperate bunch seeking fame and fortune and intellect and experiences. And when they get to the end of it, there'll be a void. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm not saying that there is something inherently wrong with being wealthy, that there's something inherently desperate about being famous, or something being wrong or or desperate about wanting to experience all the things that life has to offer. Where it goes astray, though, is when these things become substitutes for God in our lives. In effect, they become idols in our lives. Greg and his friends, they were idolaters. And what happened to them is what happens to all of us when we worship idols. We become like zombies in the Walking Dead series. I don't know if you've seen that, but they, the, the zombies, they walk around and they don't know they're dead. You know, they, they stumble around making gross noises. They stumble around until they happen upon something that will feed them for the moment. And they gorge themselves on it. But it's a, it's a momentary fix. And like they just exist. And they go back to stumbling. Until again they find something that quenches the thirst for a moment. Walking dead. Now, in case you think that's too much, I didn't say that. God said that. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. As for you, you, me, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Walking dead. Apart from Christ, that's what we are. 
And that's what our friends and family members that we love are apart from Christ. The enemy's got no new tricks. He just addresses them differently. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, come not from the Father, but from the world. And that, my friends, is all these counterfeit items are. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's what the enemy used against Adam and Eve in the garden, and it's what he uses against us day to day. So what are we to do? I think what we need to do is we need to spark a revolution, a Jesus revolution. Now, truth be told, you and I don't spark anything of God. Let's be clear about that. If there's a revolution, it won't be because of us. But in the same way, nothing that takes place in our movie was sparked by Lonnie, Chuck, or Greg. Then and now, God is the one who initiates. So about now, someone should be asking, well, Mike, if that's the case, how is this revolution going to get started? Well, I'm glad you asked. I haven't done a deep dive on this. And, and there are those who have, you know, done some heavy lifting around the idea of revival and all that. But for me as a casual observer, I think there's a few things that are always present. Number one, God is always at work. God is always at work. Look at the words of John chapter 5, verse 17. My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. So if God and Jesus are always at work, as followers of God and Jesus, it's incumbent upon us to discern how and where he's working. The second is this, a challenging and perplexing cultural period. The Civil War in the 1800s, Vietnam and civil rights in the 60s, deep political division in our day. Now, it could be said that all times are challenging and perplexing, and that may be true. But people are not always searching in those times. So the question is, are people searching today? And I believe they are. I think of some of the conversations that I've had with another fitness trainer that I work alongside of. And I know uh, of events like the Asbury Revival last year. If you don't know about that, um, the Asbury Revival started spontaneously in February of last year at Asbury University. It's a Christian school in Kentucky. And it lasted for just about 10 days, 24 hours a day, worship and prayer, and thousands Thousands of people traveled from all over the world to the university chapel to be a part of it. People were said to have felt a revival of spiritual energy and atmosphere in the room. It got so that 
the president of Asbury announced on the 19th uh, that the outpour- outpouring services, what he called it, had to move off campus. And, and later the school decided to end the on-campus services altogether because tens of thousands of visitors flooded the campus and the small town of Wilmore, Kentucky. It overwhelmed the locals. It blocked traffic for miles. It's a move of God. Now, it remains to be seen how those who attended have been impacted since. And we don't know what the end result will ultimately be. But I think it is a clear indication that people are searching. The third is this. Men and women transformed by Christ that are willing, I would say no, that are compelled to share the good news. Another clip. I hesitated to put that part of the clip in because it looks like, um, as someone uh, suggested to me, that, you know, something mystical happened, you know, when, when he went beneath the water. Um, but no, that, that's not the case. Um, the, the reason I kept it in is because I think it's a dramatic example of dying and then being brought back to life, a new creation, transformed. That's where we come in, men and women that are transformed by Christ. For Chuck Smith, it was at a church camp. Lonnie Frisbee, Haight-Ashbury. Greg and Kathy Laurie, Newport Beach. Jan and Mike Davis, Fullerton. Lonnie had an incredible impact on several ministries over the years, including the vineyard. He was a man transformed. Chuck and Greg have been used by God in amazing ways. They've built uh, incredible ministries that reach out to people and bring them to faith. Again, men transformed. Mother Teresa passed away in 97 you know, left the comfort of her home to work with the poorest of the poor. In her own words, the hungry, the naked, the homeless, the crippled, the blind, the lepers, all those people who feel unwanted, unloved, uncared for throughout society, people that have become a burden to society and are shunned by everyone. She was a woman transformed. Chuck Colson a contemporary of the time of the movie. He passed away in 2012. He was an attorney and a political advisor who served as special counsel to President Richard Nixon. He was known as the hatchet man and the evil genius within the administration. That's what his friends called it, the hatchet man and the evil genius. He ended up serving time in a federal prison camp for crimes uh, related to the Watergate scandal. That was a series of interlocking political scandals involving President Nixon and those working on his behalf. Excuse me. He was indicted. He was convicted. But something happened prior, prior to going to prison. He decided to visit a friend, a friend that he noticed had changed. 
guy was a big guy in business, you know, hard charger, and he's, he had to know how and why. He talks to this guy, and afterwards he gives his heart to the Lord. And he goes in, and when he comes out, he decides he feels led by God to start a nonprofit called Prison Fellowship that supports incarcerated individuals and his families. In the end, Chuck Colson is recognized more for the work he did as a Christian than for his crimes with Watergate. He was a man transformed. Dorothy Day passed away in 1980. She was said to be faithful to the gospel and the church and wanted to transform individuals and society. One article put it this way. In an age marked by widespread violence, impersonal government, shallow interpersonal relationships, and a quest for self-fulfillment, nothing like our day, Dorothy Day's spirit fosters nonviolence, personal responsibility of all people to the poorest ones among us and fidelity to community and to God. She was a woman transformed. And there are tons of stories like this. People transformed by the power of Christ to lead a different kind of life. Even well-known people like Reese Witherspoon, the Beeb, uh, Matthew McConaughey, Chance the Rapper, and then a ton of unknowns like people like us. We often don't know why people come to faith. But I would bet good money that in most, if not all of those cases, it's because of one unsung hero who was transformed and was willing to share what they had come to believe. That's what happened with Jan and I. What about you? When and how have you been transformed? What effect has that had on you? And what effect has that had on those around you? Another clip. We can shy away from what we know. We can think so much of ourselves that we think our lives either support or cancel out God's power. There have been times when uh, I've been cautioned about telling my story, and honestly, sometimes I'm the one who's doing the cautioning. But in my better moments, I remember, and I respond, really? Really, that's how you want to play that? Since when does a blind man who receives his sight not tell the world about it? Really? When does a person who's been lost in the wilderness, dying of thirst, is suddenly rescued and found? How do they not tell the world about that? Really? How does someone how does someone who's been dead 
and is brought to life, not shout to the rooftops about what's happened. In the movie, Lonnie partially quotes Romans ten fourteen, and it says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Verse 15, And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? That is is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. I want to say this as lovingly as I can. Friends, family, loved ones, if all we ever do as a Christ-following fellowship of believers is sing a few songs on Sunday and meet every other week, and take notes on our personal condition, we will have missed the heart of God and all our efforts will have been for naught. This we must do. Tell your story. Tell your story. There's a generation of people out there who are lost, their sheep without a shepherd. Tell your story. Father God, we thank you how you've worked in our lives. We are blessed beyond measure. We pray, Lord, that you would um, inspire and empower us to remember our first love and share the joy, the joy that we had when we first came to know you. Help us to tell others how we've been transformed. It's not about us, Lord. It's about you and your great love and mercy towards us. You said we're priests. Priests represent you. Help us, Lord, to represent you well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.